The best of change management strategies as you head into 2024. That's the main topic we're going to cover here in episode number 151 of Transformation Ground Control. This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberly. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 151. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. This is the podcast that has everything to do with the digital transformation strategies that you need to know. Uh, we cover the strategy, people, process, and technology components of transformations here in this podcast. You can find new episodes at transformationgroundcontrol.com. And uh, this podcast is produced by Major Tom Productions and sponsored by Third Stage Consulting. So thank you for being here today. And uh, Kyler, thanks for joining again today, as always. Of course, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it should be a great show. I'm excited for today's conversation. It's one of my favorite topics. I know it's one of yours too, Kyler, uh, change management. That's what we're going to really dive into today. Absolutely. The best of change management here in 2024. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, in our opening segment, we're going to take some audience questions about change management. We're also going to get into what is organizational change management and six change management trends to be aware of for 2024. Um, so be sure to stick around for that opening segment to chat about those change related topics. And then later we're going to have Greg Benton on the show, who's the chief strategy officer of third stage consulting. He's going to be on with me chatting about digital strategies for 2024, including the organizational change strategies, strategies that you need to be aware of and familiar with, but we're also going to go a little bit beyond just change management in that conversation. We'll talk about tech trends and things of that nature as well. And then later in the show, uh, we'll have why change management is so difficult as well as top five change strategies that you should be aware of and also strategies to manage change resistance and behavioral change. So be sure to stick around for those conversations that we'll have here in today's action-packed episode. So all that being said, what are some of these uh, questions you have in store for us, Kyler? Excellent. Well, let's get into those audience questions. Just a reminder, these are not just questions for Eric. They're questions for our full audience members here. So I encourage you to join the conversations in the comments. And as a reminder, each week, we do pull questions for Eric to ask him here live in each ground control episode. Um, so be sure to definitely leave your comments, um, whether you're watching an audio platform or a visual platform, uh, you can leave them wherever and our team will collect them and, and bring them to Eric. So this question is actually from last week's episode. If you did not see the planning for ERP implementations in 2024 um, with AV from Avero, I uh, highly recommend going back to last week's episode number 150 um, and looking at that. But this is a question that came in after um, the, the stream of that episode. Um, so it says, how does a change management plan actually look? Like, are there particular types of documents that need to be prepared in this process? And how do we start with interviewing our employees? That's a great question. And yeah, there there is a sort of a, a science to change strategies and plans. I think the first step in the first science, if you will, is to conduct an organizational readiness assessment. 
So ensuring that we are um, assessing the the current culture and the environment, the the pros and cons, and the advantages and disadvantages of the current environment, uh, along with the strengths and weaknesses, so that we can define a change management strategy and plan that fits who we are and who we're trying to become as an organization. So in order in order to do that change readiness assessment, there's two things we do. One is typically a uh, an anonymous survey that we do online that asks a bunch of quantitative questions to really help us gauge and measure different components of the organization's culture and the communication style, leadership style, all these different things that will help us figure out what's going to work to our advantage in a, in a transformation and a change initiative and what's going to be a potential disadvantage that we need to address as part of our change strategy. So that anonymous survey is step one, and that's sort of the quantitative piece of it. And then step two within that first bucket of change assessment is the qualitative focus groups. So this is where we start to interview in small groups, you know, different um, qualitative understandings of what the culture is and, and how the organization is uh, is evolving. And then, of course, you want to within that also look at at the executive level, what direction does the executive team want to take the organization? And so then once we have a good understanding of what that direction is, then we can assess the organization in that context using that organizational assessment, the two-step, the two-prong approach I just mentioned. So that's the first step is doing that upfront assessment. And once you've done that assessment, then even though that's a very structured process, then it becomes more flexible or the plan becomes more tailored depending on what comes out of the, the change assessment. So I'd say, you know, that's probably the best way to get started is do the assessment. And then that that outputs from that exercise will then inform how that change strategy should look, what it should look like, what the areas of focus are, how we're going to deploy resources to address those change issues, all that, all that good stuff. Absolutely. And if you have more questions about kind of those tangible deliverables, we have a variety of different resources on our YouTube channel that not only goes from our keynotes at previous stratospheres um, to a variety of other change management metrics. So that can be kind of tricky to look at the KPIs for your organization and the deliverables, especially when you're working with a, a change practitioner that's not internal to your organization. You really want to make sure that you're um, in kind of in the know and understand what that looks like. So thank you so much for that question. I will turn to the comments just to kind of look at what are the change management deliverables that you often see um, within your organization or have experience around. So let us know in the comments there. But let's move to our next question that actually goes into um, partners. So this one says, Eric, I have a, our project, I guess, it has a change management plan. However, our partners aren't aligned to the importance of that plan. How do we make them see that we want to make change management a main priority, not just technical implementation? That's a really good question. Um, and in fact, I don't know that anyone's ever asked that question before, because a lot of times as, as consultants, we have to we try to proactively preempt that problem by getting ahead of it, you know, when we're helping our clients. But this is a very intuitive question because they clearly see the need for change management and their partners clearly don't see it the same way. So I think that the short answer and it, the risk of oversimplifying my answer, I'd say that, first of all, you have to recognize it's, it's your project. I mean, the, the partners are there to support you in your initiative. It's not the partner's project. And they may have the way they want to do it. They have their areas of focus. They have their strengths, the things they want to keep the project focused on. But the way I'd view it is, you know, view it as as a project that needs a general contractor, you know, to use a construction analogy, you need the general contractor to manage the partners. 
And one of the work streams that you're probably going to manage amongst the partners and the different work streams is going to be change management. And so it's your job, it's incumbent on you as an organization to say, okay, partner A, you're going to do this technical stuff. And yes, you, you view change management one way, but here's how we're going to do change management on this project. And we're not going to ask you to do it, partner. We're going to have you know, potentially another work stream, another third party, internal resources, whatever it is that's going to manage that. And here's what our overall program plan looks like. And your technical work stream looks like this, um, but there's other parallel work streams that are happening alongside that. And that constitutes the overall program. So I think it's part one, part one of this answer is to say that you should be focused on ensuring that you have ownership of the project and, and you treat it as your project, not the partner's project. And then also treat it as sort of a general contractor model where you need to have that internal PMO that can, can manage the various work streams, including change management and including your partners. So that's probably the best way to tie it all together. Absolutely. Um, a very intuitive question and also turning to the audience of how do you make sure that you hold change management as a priority within your overall implementation? Um, so that's definitely something that's that's so important. Hopefully you have a vendor that can understand that from a cultural match to understand that that's something that's really important to you in your organization. Um, so great question and great answer. Thank you, Eric. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, the different approaches when it comes to implementation. If you missed our best of implementation planning for 2024, go back to last week's episode. That's a great one to kind of get into the overall tactical approach to optimizing a successful technology implementation within your organization. This question actually takes that a step further that says sometimes that hybrid approach of waterfall and agile, they actually called it Wagile, which I love, <laughs> um, helps in overcoming risk. But but is there more risk when it comes to an agile approach for change management failure? Um, hmm, that's a good question. So so in other words, is there? So let me think through this out loud. So is there a higher degree of change failure when it relates to agile? Is that the question? Yeah. If you take an agile approach, are you okay. more likely to fail at your change management strategies? Yeah, so I'd, what I'd say there is that you you could be more likely to fail. I don't want to give it an absolute yes, you're more likely. I mean, it could, be, I would say, yes, probably. You're probably more likely to fail, or you're, at the very least, you're more likely to have change issues, partly because, you know, when you go through an agile approach, a lot of times that end state isn't as clearly defined. And, and I'm generalizing here, this isn't true of all agile implementations, but oftentimes when you go through an agile deployment, you haven't clearly defined what the end state is because you haven't you've you sort of foregone some of that waterfall upfront activity that typically happens in a waterfall project and so now you end up in an agile environment where you're you're deploying technology faster and and you're moving faster that's the good news you're delivering value faster presumably but it's also now a moving target from a change perspective it's harder to pinpoint how is this technology impacting people and how are they going to react to it and how can we get ahead of it so it turns into more of a reactive change management effort instead of a proactive planning, a planned change effort. So in other words, there's more chaos. You're, you're sort of putting out fires from an organizational change perspective. And that's sort of the dark side of Agile that a lot of, a lot of industry peers don't want to talk about um, because Agile is sort of the movement. It's the trend. It's where a, most of the software vendors are moving. At the very least, they're moving towards a hybrid model of using elements of Agile, um, which is okay in moderation, but you have to recognize there's some it's harder to get ahead of the change from a change management perspective when you're when you're in an agile environment. Yeah, so it sounds like there might need to be quite a bit of governance around how do you implement change, how do you monitor it throughout the implementation if yeah. that is the approach that's right for your organization. Yeah, absolutely. 
So Eric, this is a question about project management and supply chain. Um, so if you are going through your PM certifications, is it important to have a change management certification for a project manager to be successful in a digital transformation? I, I think it can't hurt. I mean, if you're a project manager and you can add the soft skill and certification based on change management, then I think that can help augment the, the hard skills of PMP certification or whatever. PMO or project management certification you might have. So yeah, I, th I think it's a, it's a good idea. And same for change managers, by the way, if you're a change manager and you can get some project management training and some harder skills in that way, I think it's a good combination. And I think it, it keeps, it prevents that problem that a lot of team members have and individuals have where they sort of build biases and blind spots based on, you know, if they're just change managers and they don't understand project management or vice versa. Um, that can be a, a blind spot for team members. So having both, I think, is a really powerful combination. Okay, excellent. Well, maybe in the comments, too, if you are a project manager or you have project management experience and you have a change management certificate, we can share kind of what that looks like as far as helping your overall skill set and being a project manager. Um, is that something that could definitely broaden and diversify your approach? portfolio. Um, so with that, if you do have additional questions, I encourage you to pop them in the comments here. And we will um, move on to some exciting hot topics around change management, Eric, that we'll share here in just a few. All right. Well, thanks for those questions, Kyler. And, and to the audience, those are really good questions and uh, super interesting and obviously relevant to change management. So thanks for, uh, for the great audience questions there. Uh, we're going to continue this thread of change management in our best of change management episode. We're going to, after a break, we're going to take a quick break here. We're going to come back to what is change management and why is it so important. We're also going to talk about six change management trends to be aware of in 2024 and beyond. And then later in the show, stick around. We'll have Greg Benton on the show who is going to be on with me to chat about digital strategies for 2024 and what you should be aware of and planning for in the new year, including change strategies, but not limited to change strategies. Um, so we'll continue in the change management thread and get outside the bounds of change management as well here in a few minutes. And then last but not least, later in the show, we'll play you some video clips related to change management, further clips related to change management. We'll talk about why change is so difficult, top five change strategies, and strategies to manage change resistance. All that coming up later in the show. So be sure to stick around. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology-agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 151. This is the best of change management episode for 2023 and 2024. Uh, my name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyla Cheatham. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can also view past episodes of the show at transformationgroundcontrol.com as well. So be sure to check that out. Um, so we've got some hot topics here, Kyler. What is change management, six change management trends? What, what do you have in store for us? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I want to talk a, a little bit about um, change management in 2023 and share one statistic that is from a McKinsey um, research survey. And it says actually that around 20% of transformation's value is lost after a technical implementation. And that's because their change management programs fail. And the main failure cause there is employee resistance. So this research talks about the importance of explaining the change and communicating the change around technology to employees. And we obviously know that's important, but the number one recommendation of some of this research is actually to put all employees through a digital literacy program as a, a couple weeks boot camp so that you would actually shift through each department layer of your organization to have a whole digital literacy program to ensure that your transformation or organization is ready for a transformation. So that's actually touching every employee in the organization. So I thought I had to bring that approach to you and get your feedback on if that would be something that you would recommend as well. Yeah, I mean, if time and resource permitting, I think it, it helps to, ch to touch every person within an organization from, from a change perspective, simply because if getting them involved and asking them questions, that alone, regardless of what they say or how they get involved, it has a big impact because now you've got more buy-in, you've got more involvement, you've got more engagement. It set the tone that this isn't just a an IT project or a, an executive level project. This is something we all have to be a part of and contribute to. So I think um, if you can, it's easier said than done, but if you can touch every part of the organization, that's ideal. The downside, of course, is that that takes more time. It takes more resources. It could slow down the project in the short term, although it could speed it up later because now you've got more engagement, more involvement. So I think if you've got the patience and the fortitude to do it and you've got the resources to do it, that's ideal. If not, then you know a lot of organizations don't do that. and They end up doing some sort of... Uh, hybrid approach, or they end up trying to touch as many people or as many stakeholders as they can within the organization without, you know, necessarily touching each and every, every team member. And that's kind of the pre-work best case scenario. And when we look at that statistic around McKenzie um, and saying that 20% of that value is lost post-technical implementation, how do you ensure that that doesn't happen in your digital transformation going into 2024, knowing that is real data and real research? Well, I, I think the first is recognize that there is data and we, we've seen plenty of studies over the years that validate that same point, whether or not it's the same percentage or not, maybe isn't necessarily true. But what is true is that the data has shown over decades that companies lose business value post-implementation. In fact, it's also data also shows that companies don't ever fully realize the potential business value post-implementation. So I think the key is to recognize that you're not going to get the business value and you're not going to maintain the business value you expect just because you put in new technology. So you're going to have to do some stuff post-implementation to optimize that. And so rather than declaring victory or declaring success and declaring a finish to the project at Go Live, for a lot of organizations, that's just the start. And there, a lot of people don't want to hear that because by the time you go live with new technology, you've got change fatigue, the organization's tired, you're ready to go back to your day jobs, your real jobs. The last thing you want to think about is continuing a project that you just spent years getting to a, to a Go Live date. But you have to think about that. We have to think of it as a continuous journey to where you're live with new technology. Now we can optimize and figure out why are we not getting the full business value and how do we ensure we maintain that business value? And if you think about it, the effort and the cost associated with that is a lot less than the effort and cost it takes to get to the go live in the first place. So you spend that incrementally 
that slight, that relatively small incremental uh, additional effort to ensure that you you get the the business value and you maintain the business value that you expect to get out of the technology. Absolutely, a hundred percent. That makes a, a lot of sense, and it's really kind of our mission here to achieve that third stage, right? That third stage of the digital transformation that is that full value recognition and optimization. So. Um, it's definitely something that it, that's on the forefront of our mission here at Third Stage. And again, turning to the audience, if there are um, case studies or any sort of um, feedback you have around achieving kind of that post-implementation optimization, definitely share those in the comments and, and we'll pull those as well. Um, but let's look at the six change management trends that we must look at in 2024. So there's a, a few of these. I'm going to read the list and then we can dive into um, any that stand out to you or I have a few questions for you, Eric, as well. Um, so the number one um, trend is a greater focus on employee engagement and empowerment. Number two is the use of digital platforms and technology to support change. Number three is more emphasis on agile and iterative approaches. Number four is managers and team leaders leading change, not executives. Number five is more data-driven approaches to change management, like we talked about a little bit in our um, audience questions. And then also number six is humanizing change and integrating it into the full company culture, not just for a digital transformation. So of those six, do any stand out to, to you, Eric, um, as especially important in moving into 2024? Well, I think the digital platform for adoption is, is interesting in using that more of that tech-enabled approach to, to change. Um, that That's certainly one that I'm not used to hearing in these sorts of lists. So that's a that, that's probably the one that jumps out the most because I think there are opportunities to use technology to enable changes and also to um, help change teams scale the content production, the training, the uh, just the overall materials and user adoption, especially from that perspective. Um, there's a lot of opportunities to use technology to do that. That's great to see kind of that trending into utilizing, actually leaning on technology and the emergence of kind of those niche change management systems or the integration of project systems having those change management functions. Curious to kind of turn to the audience to see if you've had any experience with change management technology or your reactions to that trends list. Definitely want to hear what your top trend is for change management moving into 2024. Okay, well, good stuff. Those are really good uh, topics, hot topics for change management and certainly relevant to the, the thread and the, the theme for today and look forward to uh, transitioning here and as you mentioned into the conversation with Greg Benton, who's our chief strategy officer here at Third Stage to talk about digital strategies for 2024. So we're gonna, we're gonna get to that here in just a minute. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back with Greg Benton. And then later in the show, we'll have uh, some discussion around why change management is so difficult, top five change strategies for 2024, and also strategies to manage change resistance and behavioral change. So we've got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. Hi, my name is Eric Kimberling. I'm your host here on Transformation Ground Control. And if you haven't already, I want to invite you to buy my new book. It's called The Final Countdown, Strategies to Reach the Third Stage of Digital Transformation. It's my first book. I'm very proud of it. I love this book. And it, it was my attempt to create a summary and a playbook for what it takes to be successful 
and defining a digital strategy and a roadmap for your organization. So there's a lot of things we can cover when we talk about digital transformation. We talk about a lot of stuff on this show, but I wanted to condense it into a readable sort of a sequential format that made it easy to help define a digital strategy for project teams that is unique to your organization, unique to your goals and objectives. So really uh, hope you'll, you'll read it. I hope you enjoy it. Again, it's called The Final Countdown. You can read that book by scanning the QR code right here in front of you, or you can go to thefinalcountdown.com. Um, again, it's, it's been an Amazon bestseller since it came out, so I encourage uh, you to check it out and love to hear your views and your comments on it too. So The Final Countdown, my new book, you can go to thefinalcountdown.com or scan the QR code in front of you. Hope you enjoy, and we'll see you soon. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 151. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyla Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. And you can also find past episodes of this show at transformationgroundcontrol.com as well. I'm excited for our next guest, Greg Benton, who's our Chief Strategy Officer at Third Stage Consulting. He's going to be on the show here talking about, chatting with me about digital strategies for 2024, some of the emerging trends and predictions for the coming year, but also more importantly, how do we navigate those emerging trends and predictions and how do we define a strategy and roadmap and a plan that fits our needs and, and our goals and objectives as an organization? So really excited to have this conversation and get the audience involved as well. So, Greg, all that being said, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here, Eric. I'm excited yeah. to uh, talk with everybody about what's coming for 2024. Absolutely. Glad to have you. You're, you're the perfect guy to chat about this. You're the chief strategy <laughs> officer here at, at Third Stage Consulting. But tell us a little bit about yeah. your background. Well, for the last 25 years, Eric, uh, as you well know, I've been working with uh, clients, with software vendors, with systems integrators to implement and manage the, uh, the digital transformation and strategies that enterprise um, uh, leaders have put in place to really move their organizations forward in a way that um, is um, the uh, uh, the taking advantage of the newer technologies, re replacing older um, enterprise systems, and really looking at uh, the digital transformation as a holistic picture, right? And equipping our third stage consultants and directors and so forth with the tools and the understanding of the marketplace and the environment and making sure that they are able to, able to help our clients with their digital strategies going forward as well. Right. Yeah. Good, good background. You have a broad exposure, not only in your past career and leading up to your time at third stage, but even just here at third stage, you've had a lot of exposure to a lot of different clients, a lot of different industries, a lot of different technology platforms. You've seen a lot of the emerging technologies and evolutions of technology here over the last many years. Um, so that's why you're the perfect guy to have this conversation with here today. Um, and before we jump into a couple questions, I have to get us started. And again, we're going to turn to the audience to get their questions um, as they come in here. But before I get to my questions to start, I wanted to um, just sort of acknowledge where people are joining from here today. Thank you for dropping in the chat where everyone is. Um, we have uh, someone from Johannesburg, South Africa, India, Spain, Melbourne, Chicago, Istanbul, France, Colorado, India, San Diego, uh, Texas, really all over the world. So thank you, everyone, for, for being here today. Um, and it's fun. It's pretty amazing. It is. Yeah, you get a global group of people like this, like-minded people trying to talk about and predict what might happen in the future, which is always, uh, which is always fun, right? Um, 
So that, that's what we do. That's what we do. <laughs> but before we talk about 2024, if we sort of look at the year in review here, if we just look at 2023, um, what are there any technology or digital transformation trends that most surprised you in the last year or, or things that excited you or surprised you along the way? That's a great question. There were there were one thing that surprised me is that it's already 2024. So right. 2023 is. is gone, right? Right. But um, no, the uh, the the two things that really surprised me and shocked me, frankly, um, one was the uh, the adoption of AI and machine learning with enterprise systems, right? So everyone's talking about how um, processes need to be improved, processes need to be mapped and mapped to new systems that are being implemented as digital transformation. And AI and machine learning are going to accelerate that process for anyone that's looking to make a change, right? So right. we can get into that a little bit later, but the other thing that really um, amazes me is the continuing evolution from ERP, enterprise resource planning, to the holistic picture of digital enterprise operations, right? So instead of implementing a single ERP platform or system, enterprise that is forward-looking is really saying, what am I going to be doing for the next 10 years? What am I going to be doing for the next 20 years? And how are my existing and legacy systems going to interlace with that uh, that new platform that I'm I'm needing to put in place to stay relevant, competitive, accomplish the mission that my organization has. Um, I mean, that that evolution to digital enterprise or DEO has has really accelerated over the last year. Yeah. And what it seems to be doing is opening up a bunch of um, alternatives and options for organizations, it's giving more options to choose from. So in other words, they don't have yeah. to just go down the route of a traditional ERP system or traditional enterprise technology, they can use interoperability and digital enterprise operations approach to sort of um, find the best technologies that work best for them, maybe even pull in some of their legacy systems that they can't replace for whatever reason right away. It's, it gives you a lot of different options and paths you can go down. What about, um, here's an interesting question from uh, Kyler on LinkedIn that I thought would be interesting to jump into. Um, she asked, what is an underrated digital strategy that you wish organizations prioritized or an unrated um, digital strategy, I guess is what she said. Underrated? Uh, it says underrated. Maybe she doesn't mean underrated. Um, let's, let's go with underrated. I think that's what she meant. I think um, from an underrated standpoint, the, um, the preparation of the organization before you even get into a selection process and determining where you're going to go. So um, taking a, a healthy phase zero approach to understanding what the organization needs to do, planning clear objectives for what the end state needs to look like, and building the business case around moving the entire organization forward rather than having, you know, a, disparate departments within the organization wanting to go one direction and another direction. You really have to establish that executive alignment up front, as many of our clients have figured out and do really well, right? Um, and those that don't tend to flounder. They tend to take uh, an inordinate amount of time and expense to decide on a single software system as a technology 
and not really looking at the people and process part of that whole equation, right? Yeah. And that's what I think is underrated is the preparation of the organization. What do you, what do you see in that, Eric? Um, what? Line up I, with you? Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, the, the phase zero implementation planning and really just the whole exercise of defining clearly defining what it is you want to be when you grow up as an organization is something that a lot of organizations just overlook. And they, they sort of jump past that and say, well, let's just go find some technology and then that'll help us figure out what we want to do when we grow up. But it's sort of a chicken and the egg sort of problem where if you don't have a clear vision of what your, your future state operating model is or what you want your uh, organization to look like and what, you know, how exactly you want to standardize business processes or things like that, those are big decisions, right? And those are big, um, big rocks you need to move and figure out how to how to define that so that you can find the technology and define the roadmap that best fits that and so i think i i totally agree with that and i, I might add a second one or maybe a close second would be the change management you know change management is always underrated it feels like just not enough focus on the the human adoption and the, and the people part of the equation oh absolutely yeah and i i think that underrating of the people side of the equation is what leads to uh, incredible expense. Um, the, uh, the organization gets weary of long and very, um, very complicated implementation processes. And without that upfront planning and making sure that you've got, um, you know, project teams that are going to be dedicated to the implementation all the way through and that you're managing both sides of the implementation, both the systems integrators, as well as your your own people, um, that that change just doesn't happen. The adoption doesn't be doesn't become complete. Right. So, yeah, organizational changes is, is definitely a big part of that. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. Here's a interesting comment from from LinkedIn. I don't see who who said this, but someone on LinkedIn said, I, I would like to redefine digital enterprise operations to digital enterprise optimization. So what are your thoughts on that? Hey, is that a valid point? I like that. It's still DEO, right? Right. <laughs> Never enough acronyms in this industry. So there you go. Our business does not have enough acronyms. I mean, you know, TMI. Right. <laughs> We're here with Greg Benton chatting about digital strategies for 2024 and beyond. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more transformation. Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate experience and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 151. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. So be sure to check out current and past episodes at transformationgroundcontrol.com. I'm here with Greg Benton talking about digital strategies for 2024 and beyond. Let's jump back into the conversation. There's an interesting comment from Gassan on LinkedIn as well. 
He says, focusing resources on AI utilization to cut down on resources being replaced by AI. So um, that's that's interesting, interesting comment. Any, Love any... to hear from Gassan. You know, uh, Gassan, one of the one of the things that I think you would agree with, or at least comment on, is the fact that AI is going to change the way that we implement software. So if you think about testing processes for you know SIT user acceptance testing. All of that, it's running scripts. And in the past, it's been consultants sitting side by side with the end users, just going through script after script after script, making sure that the information that's been placed now in your new environment matches up with what you had in your legacy system. A lot of that can be accomplished by AI at this point. Um, running scripts is you know, something that uh, instead of taking months, taking days to do that testing process. So that's that's going to speed and I think uh, remove a lot of the uh, the risk in the testing process that goes into implementation. Right. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Um, and then uh, Gassan has a follow up comment here that chief AI officer will be AI. <laughs> chief AI officer will be AI. So another okay. acronym, CAI. Right. Who is not a real person? C-A-I-O. There we go. It's really complicated now. <laughs> Here's a, <laughs> is interesting from Jill on LinkedIn. Jill says, what's your perspective on organizations implementing the return to office mandates and the impacts on digital transformation, whether whether good or bad? What do you, what do you think? I, I think that, um, you know, one of the things that we're seeing is with implementations, um, we became very accustomed to doing everything remotely. And we became good at it, right? So Teams meetings, instead of having an all-day demo or an all-day test session or training sessions, were all conducted remotely. Um, a lot of our implementation clients right now that are going through this under, under our program management or their own program management, are finding that um, it's difficult to get people to come back into the office, but the results that they achieve with that, um, you know, kind of side-by-side -side knowledge transfer in training classes and everything that goes on with, uh, with regard to planning, that upfront executive alignment takes in-person meetings, not, um, you know, not team meetings, not Zoom meetings, but it is difficult to get people to come back in, especially mm -hmm. the people that are participating on the project team. So um, I think we're just going to see a, a, a move to get people into the office, especially when it comes to the, the whole implementation process and going forward. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it was fascinating to see right at the beginning of COVID, the organizations that, that struggled to, to go through the implementations with that remote yeah. approach. And I know it could be done. We saw clients do it. Some were more successful than others. But, you know, when you, when you think about it, you, know, you think about a manufacturing environment, for example, trying to visualize and work through how a manufacturing shop floor is going to be automated or be changed by digital transformation. That's hard to do over a Zoom call, you know, versus actually being out on the shop floor or being in the office. It's impossible. To... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is, and a lot of companies, I think they underrated or underestimated the, uh, the difficulty that that was going to have. So I think... Uh, yeah, I think that's, you know, the, the hybrid environment seems to be where a lot of organizations are settling. So I'd be curious to see how that how that affects transformations as well. 
Well, it is helping that in some cases, if we have a subject matter expert that needs to come in from somewhere else, they can join via Zoom, Teams, or any other media and, uh, and be effective. Um, but you just don't have that collaboration. You don't have the sidebar conversations. You don't have you know, people pulling together as a real team. Mm-hmm. Again, getting back to that change management, it's, it's really difficult if you don't have people sitting side by side. Yeah, yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. We we didn't even talk about that. That change management piece is very difficult in a hundred percent remote environment. Um, not that everything has to be necessarily classroom based training, of course, but just being able to work side by side with colleagues and change managers and people that are, that are actually there to help um, enable the changes, I, I think is really important. That was a when great look, point. That was a great point. What about when you, you look to 2024, or as we look to 2024, organizations that we're working with, we're helping them with their digital strategies, defining the roadmaps for 24 and beyond. What are some of the trends you're most excited about that, that we haven't already talked about? There are a, uh, a number of things that are happening. One of those is people coming back to the office. <laughs> so, right. so we just touched on that. But um, no, I'm, I'm seeing that um, the um, uh, that move toward digital enterprise operations toward the whole picture instead of looking at kind of the uh, the micro set of um, I need to replace a piece of technology or making a change for technology's sake. One department decides that they're going to make a move into uh, a software application set and everybody else is not moving along with that. I think that's changed. There's a lot more visibility across the organization for people needing to make change. Um, uh, and also the, uh, the advent of AI and machine learning in mapping processes that you're going to improve or digital enterprise optimization that's going forward. Um, you know, all of those tools coming to bear right now, along with uh, the full move toward cloud and uh, increasing time to value for the, for the large software vendors, the ERP software vendors, is um, is all coming together in a perfect storm in 2024. So yeah. I think there's there's going to be a lot of movement toward uh, setting up your plan for the next 10, 20 years with partners that are going to be able to flexibly change with the new technologies and the interoperability of systems so that you can go forward smoothly rather than having to stall out start again. And, you know, that's an expensive proposition that nobody wants to go through. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Makes makes total sense. Um, one other trend or potential trend that uh, Gassan mentions here on LinkedIn is the increase of iPaaS platform as a service. Um, what uh, what are your thoughts on, on platform as a service or just software platforms in general as a potential trend? Well, I, I think that, um, for instance, on the interoperability platforms like uh, Palantir, like a Snowflake, the uh, the opportunity to get an immediate time to value in terms of setting something up so that analytics and data management can be accomplished across an entire enterprise with even disparate systems and bringing that into a single corporate instance that uh, then can be managed as a single source of the truth. I think that's the promise of some of the iPaaS um, platforms that are out there. Um, 
what do you what do you see on that? You've actually addressed that in a couple of your your recent podcasts. So, yeah, there's um, I think there's something to be said for for the platform movement. You know, as far as in other words, not just choosing an application to automate your business, but instead choosing a platform that applications can be built on or that you can choose from within that ecosystem of, of, of the platform. Legos. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of like the interoperability model in some ways, but but different. I mean, the interoperability mm -hmm. is more focused on tying together multiple systems, maybe across platforms, whereas the platform as a service or the platform model is more focused on let's go find a platform to build those Legos and build a bunch of build or buy or both uh, a bunch of different technologies that we can layer on. So a lot of times, uh, if you think about, um, for example, Salesforce and their force platform, um, people think of Salesforce as a CRM provider, but really there's, it's a platform. There's a platform within that, that there's a bunch of third party apps that you can use with or without Salesforce CRM. You could, you know, use rootstock for manufacturing or use, you know, other, other options out there for different functions. They're not related to Salesforce or CRM. Um, even you look at um, NetSuite, for example, NetSuite and Infor, I know, are two vendors that are sort of moving in that direction of more of a platform. Like, how do we engage with third-party developers to create different apps on our platform? And so it's, uh, I think a lot of vendors are going that direction too. So they're recognizing that, yes, we have this core application that we want to sell, but we also have a whole platform that we can use to create other options for uh, for enterprises. And I think the good news in all this, it just creates, I guess it's good news and bad news, creates a lot of, a lot more options for organizations. I feel like now they have a lot more options than they ever had in the past. So even yeah. more reason to have a solid digital strategy and roadmap and understanding what it is you're trying to get at. Well, and to your point where it used to be discrete uh, application sets or um, even ERP systems that you would, you would implement. Now you have the ability to really bring together a number of different application sets, the legacy systems, everything on a single platform. Um, you know, that's that's really powerful. Uh, I, yeah, I, I see that as a great change. Yeah, we're here with Greg Benton chatting about digital strategies for 2024 and beyond. We've got a lot more to cover. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. I'm excited to share our newly released 2024 Digital Enterprise Operations Report. This free download is available on the Third Stage website at thirdstage-consulting.com. This report is truly packed full of technology independent and agnostic insights for your project to ensure that you're strategically optimized for success. Download your copy today with the QR code in front of me or visit our website for more details. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 151. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. So be sure to check out current and past episodes at transformationgroundcontrol.com. I'm here with Greg Benton talking about digital strategies for 2024 and beyond. Let's jump back into the conversation. Follow up question from Reem on LinkedIn. Reem says, I'd like to expand. I'd like you to expand on the point about going from ERP to digital enterprise operations. Many companies feel obligated to upgrade their current ERP. These are huge investments and they see that is the only way forward. And I guess I would add to that too, especially when you look at these, uh, these sunset 
strategies that uh, software vendors are deploying to say you need to get off this old legacy system by 2025 or 2027, whatever the year yeah. is being on the vendor. Yeah. So I guess the question is, you know, do you have more, you know, how do you navigate this whole concept of digital enterprise operations within the context of forced ERP upgrades? Well, uh, I think that's a good question. And the, um, you know, the, the upgrade of many of the enterprise applications out there, I, I could mention a few, but virtually every enterprise system that's moved to a cloud platform in the last five to 10 years has legacy systems that are on-premise that are single tenant hosted cloud applications. And an upgrade is, is really a misnomer in many of those cases. It's not an upgrade. It's a completely different set of applications that you're moving to. Yeah. So where we talk about an upgrade, that that's a very clean way of saying we're going to migrate from our old applications to our new applications. The problem with that is it's a lift and shift that doesn't take into account the fact that you're moving to a completely different operating system substrate. You're moving to, in many cases, a completely different set of applications that is cloud-based instead of on-premise or single tenant. So you don't have the control or the customization capability that you had before. Moving those customizations into a new system is not an upgrade. It's a complete re-implementation of systems. So, you know, the, um, <laughs> that's, that's where I think I, I make my stand is the upgrade of old legacy systems on the enterprise side is not truly an upgrade. It truly is a re-implementation or an implementation of new systems. So why not go out and take a look at what is going to sustain us as a business, as an organization for the next 10, 20 years, rather than let's upgrade our old system, take our old processes, move them into the new system. We have an equation for that, right? It's, it's old processes and new technology equals expensive old processes. So you really want to take advantage of this time to understand what your options are from an enterprise standpoint, and then fold that into the entire digital enterprise operations journey or optimization journey as you go forward. Um, what do you see in that, Eric? I mean, that's that's something that you talk about often. Yeah, yeah, it's, I, I totally agree with everything you just said. I would just, I would also add though, that um, not only is it a, a re-implementation of software when let's just say you're going from SAP ECC to S4 HANA. That is a re-implementation of new software. That's a great example. Now you have, yes, you have some, um, what's it called? Eco not economies of scale, but um, some efficiencies and knowledge of, of, of the SAP platform, you know, going from ECC to S4 HANA is maybe not as difficult as going from ECC to Oracle Cloud, you know, because those are just two right. totally different even though, even though ECC and S4 HANA are two different systems, at least it's the same vendor. They they have that same SAP look and feel, and organizations tend to you know have knowledge bases that can work to their advantage if they're sticking in sticking with their current vendor. But what you find, in addition to it being a whole re-implementation of new software that isn't a lift and shift, is also the fact that now you're getting a different system with different capabilities and different strengths and weaknesses than what you had before with, say, ECC. So S4 HANA brings new stuff to the table that you might not have had with ECC, but there's also some stuff that ECC has that S4 HANA does not. 
And right. we see that a lot with clients where they just assume that, well, it's got to be ECC plus all the new stuff from S400 that we're really getting. That's not the case. So the reason I bring this up is because it's not even just a matter of necessarily choosing a new system. You could decide, let's go look at Oracle and Microsoft Dynamics while we're at it, because this is a total re-implementation. That, I totally agree with you. That is something you, you it, it would behoove organizations to do. But even if you do decide to stick with the same vendor and just go down their cloud upgrade path, you want to find the gaps and the holes in that so that you can figure out how are we can address those. It might be that we need third-party apps or some sort of customization or whatever. Maybe there's some other option that we might need to address those gaps. And that's where a lot of companies get in trouble. If they don't do that, then they don't. They try to guess as to how long it's going to take, how much money it's going to cost, but they don't have the right inputs or the right understanding of what they're really getting into. That's exactly why that upfront strategy and um, planning phase zero is is really critically important. You do, you establish the total cost of ownership of moving from one system to a new system or staying with the system that you have, but upgrading to, for instance, the cloud version. I mean, going from Lawson to Infor Cloud Suite is one of those examples, right? But there is a great advantage in some cases in staying with the incumbent, uh, because just exactly as you pointed out, some of the processes you know, don't have this complete overhaul. Um, also, you've been with a, uh, a partner for years that has been working with you on your enterprise business processes. And sticking with that same partner may be a, a very good move for the organization. Right. Um, so you, you shouldn't just, um, you know, throw the, the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, and make yeah. a change. Yeah, totally agree. That's a great, great question though, Reem. Thank you for that, that question on, on LinkedIn. Um, a lot of good questions here. Bear with me as I try to sift through. Sure. There was a question, I, I, you know, one question that came in earlier that I want to come back to that, that's sort of a building on this whole thread we're talking about. And I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this. This is from Kyler on LinkedIn. She says, Eric, you mentioned in your 2023 trends that we would see the death of the big ERP vendors. Is that still a main prediction continuing into 2024? Um, and first of all, I'll add a caveat that when I say things like ERP, big ERP vendors are dead, that's an attention grabber, but I don't really think they're dying. I, I don't think they're dead. I think they are slowly dying. And I think over time, there's some chinks in the armor of their market share and of their position and their stature in the industry and their relevance in the industry because of all the things we're talking about. You've got all these other trends that are not working against big ERP vendors, but they're alternatives to the big ERP vendors. And they're giving customers more options and different paths they can go down. They don't have to just upgrade to S4 Honix as SAP tells them they should. Um, I think the, I guess my point in that prediction that I originally made is that the big software vendors like SAP, Oracle, Microsoft, they're violating the trust of their customers. And I think long-term that's going to hurt them because they're forcing these premature migrations to the cloud because it, it's in their best interest. It's in the vendor's best interest, but not necessarily the customers. So I think it's creating a lot of chaos and confusion and panic in the industry that will probably come back to haunt them. And, and to your point, Greg, it's causing organizations to say, well, if this is a total re-implementation going from ECC to S4 HANA or going from Microsoft Dynamics AX to D365 or whatever, yeah. we might as well just go out and look at some other vendors. So I think if that's what I mean when I say the death of big, big ERP. I think over time, if they continue to operate this way and the market forces and the options continue to proliferate in the marketplace, I think eventually you may not see these three big vendors as the 
the dominant players. You, all, all we have to do is look back at Bond. You know, Bond used to be the number one at one <laughs> in the marketplace. It wasn't that long ago. And where's Bond now? It's it, some buried somewhere within Infor uh, right now. And they're trying to figure out ways to get people off Bond into other Infor products. So I should sure. be curious to get your thoughts, though, on that. Do you think, what do you think about the big ERP vendors and what all these trends we're talking about? What does it mean to the for the big ERP vendors, in your opinion? Well, I, I've had an opportunity over the last year, year and a half to see the roadmaps for a lot of the large ERP vendors. And I would respectfully disagree with you a little bit in terms of the, uh, the death of the ERP vendors. I think the ERP vendors are pivoting and incorporating new technologies and things like marketplace where people that are using their enterprise systems can go out and pick up new functionality, new technology, and basically plug and play into their existing systems. Um, you know, those things are, are changes that are, that are rapidly keeping the large enterprise systems relevant. What I'm, what I am seeing is a death of the, um, this is going to be controversial. So, um, death of the, uh, of the GSIs. So the global SIs that actually implement and influence the sale of different software systems into organizations, I think have not been trustworthy in that idea that they would go in and independently choose the best solution for a, for a client, for their business, for their operations. Um, they actually try to steer things in a direction that's going to point toward their own implementation practice that is aligned with a single ERP vendor. Um, and so that's what I think is, is going to be dying. I think that the, uh, the large enterprise systems, the ERP systems, are understanding that that has been going on for a long time, and they're taking things into their own, own hands. Um, that's, that's the direction I think that's going. So, so I guess what we can both agree on is that there's going to be disruption to the industry. It's just a matter of the, the incumbents yeah. in the industry are going to be disrupted. It's just a matter of how significant and which ones are going to be the most impacted, whether it's the GSIs or the vendors or yeah. some combination yeah. of both. Well, think about this, Eric. I mean, as as everyone is looking at new technologies, they're looking at changing things for their people, for their processes. We're coming out of COVID. People are coming back into the office. Things are changing with the way that people operate systems um, and support systems ongoing, right? Um, as, as all of that change is happening, everyone's needing to get with that change in one way or another. So very disruptive. Uh, my business, in order to keep up with the business down the street, it's got to automate a lot of the processes that we currently have. We've got to we've 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 got to update everything that we've got from a um, security standpoint, from you know a uh, an enterprise operation standpoint, from an analytics and and data standpoint. Mm -hmm. And where are the resources going to come from to be able to accomplish all of those implementations, all of that change. Some of it can be absorbed by AI, making processes, you know, much more rapid from an implementation standpoint, from the testing standpoint that we talked about and testing automation. But you're still going to have to have consultants and you're going to want the A team to be working on your implementation, right? Mm 
So it comes back to that whole planning process. If you're not planning now for the change that's going to be happening in 2024, getting back to our original point, you're going to be way behind. So <laughs> that's that's what I see as, as just, again, the perfect storm in 2024. It's going to be a, a, a lack of resources to do things, uh, a lack of understanding about what's coming next, and a big demand for people to move off of old legacy systems onto new technology and get their people to change and come along with that, with that new technology. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. And here's a, just a follow-up comment, sort of validating or agreeing with what you and I talked about. Uh, this is from LinkedIn. He, the LinkedIn person says, I agree old wine in a new bottle, but integrating legacy application to the new system. Even if you just mentioned SAP ECC to S4HANA, Current implementation partners here in India say that the new S4 HANA is a complete new setup. So, sort of agreeing that S4 HANA is not just a re-implementation, or, or it's not just an upgrade of ECC. It's a it's a completely new setup, which is part of the appeal of S4 HANA. is a totally different product. It's cloud based. It's built right. on the HANA platform, et cetera, et cetera. So there are upsides. It's not just that SAP decided just to change everything for the fun of it. They are doing this as a as an improvement. But so that's the good news. The bad news is it's a it's not as simple as it may sound. We're here with Greg Benton chatting about digital strategies for 2024 and beyond. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 151. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. So be sure to check out current and past episodes at transformationgroundcontrol.com. I'm here with Greg Benton talking about digital strategies for 2024 and beyond. Let's jump back into the conversation. Here's a really good question. I, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this. is from Jill on LinkedIn. Jill says, do you see executives more aligned or less aligned traditionally with how orgs prioritize digital transformation initiatives? Actually, uh, that is a great point. And I see executives in many of the organizations that we work work with much more aligned than they used to be. They have to be. Um, you know, people have come to understand that IT initiatives are not led just strictly by the CIO and the IT department and, you know, a, a few department heads. It actually has to be within the entire organization moving forward. And um organizations really now get into fiscal planning that says all right if we're going to do something we have to justify it so um 
as as you, Eric, say in in your book, in everything that you you talk about, beginning with the end in mind is what organizations are doing now from a planning standpoint. So they're getting into that, um, you know, phase zero approach to getting the organization moving in the same direction, understanding what the business case is for implementing it. Nobody's nobody's going to implement a new system unless it's justified with the return on investment that is planned in the end state. And so I'm seeing organizations align around that theme, right? What, what can we do that's best for our people? What can we do that's best for our organization moving forward, either in our mission to take care of patients, to uh, educate students, prepare them for life, um, or manufacture a, a product that is going to eclipse other manufacturers of the same product. Um, so that's, that's really just come about in the last five years or so. Uh, before it used to just be an IT or, you know, an internal project to move to a new technology just for technology's sake. So I think that's changed quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And it's it's good to see that. Uh, I, I think first of all, I, coming back to the question itself, I think the key word here is aligned. You know, our our executives aligned, and how how have they prioritized this this transformation initiative? Those are two really important points that are they're worth noting because you want to make sure the the organization as a whole is aligned beginning with executives but you also want to make sure the rest of the organization is aligned with what what is this digital transformation mean to us how important is it what is what is it we want to accomplish out of it how do we declare victory how do we measure it what's the business value we want all that stuff that's all part of that digital strategy and roadmap that in that phase zero planning that you've been talking about too and hence the whole reason for this conversation, you know, it's, it's important to figure this stuff out and understand on the macro level what all the trends are happening in the background and in the big picture, but then honing in and saying, okay, there's all this stuff, there's all this noise in the industry, all this stuff happening. Let's pick and choose yeah. what is important to us and define that clarity or clearly define that roadmap and plan to go forward. I would also say it, it doesn't really matter where in your journey you are, whether you're at the very beginning or you're in midstream and you've been implementing for two, three, four years and suddenly realize that, wow, we're just, we're not on the verge of going live. We've got to do something and we've got to change, change course. Getting the executives to align on what that course change needs to be um, is, is critically important. So executive alignment might be one of the, one of the, primary things that dictates whether an organization is successful or not in their digital transformation, no matter where they are in that continuum. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Here, Gassan is on a roll. So I'm going to pull up another question from him. He's got a really good one here or uh, an interesting comment. I'd be curious to get your feedback. Gassan, on. you always do. <laughs> <laughs> He's back. He, when, when Gassan isn't here, you know, you notice it's not quite as, uh, not quite as active in the chat, but he's, he's got quiet. a lot of, yeah, quieter <laughs> for sure. Like Hassan says, legacy systems are the root cause for resistance to change versus greenfield implementations. So companies should throw out legacies and start from scratch. And he puts a little smiley emoji there. So I think he's maybe half kidding. Um, I, but what are your thoughts? I, I, think I hope he's kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts though on this? Do we, do we throw out our legacy systems and just start over? Is that, is that a viable strategy for organizations? Cause I think, you know, even though he's kidding or it's, he seems to be kidding. 
a lot of organizations actually do think that. I mean, there, there are companies that come to us and say, yeah, let's just, like you said, throw the baby out with the bathwater because it's old, it's broken. We know we need new systems, so let's not worry about what we've got now. Let's go ahead and just jump to the future. What are the yeah, pros I, and cons I, I, there? I hope Kassan is kidding because uh, greenfield opportunities are, are few and far between. And, and the reason why is because there are, there are a lot of aspects of the legacy systems that have to be continued. Not only, not only do you have to continue the relationship with the software provider that you've been working with for years that you're going to be continuing to pay a subscription to or um, pay licensing and maintenance to over the next you know, year to two years to three years that you're implementing the new technology, you also just <laughs> you need to incorporate some of the things that you can't change right away. Um, you know, I, I think in um, some of the some of the CAD systems that go along with uh, manufacturing processes and engineer to order, um, a lot of the uh, the X-ray and digital systems that go along with healthcare, the enterprise, the EHR uh, or um, electronic health records that go along with the uh, the enterprise system that you're you're implementing. All of that has to be interoperable. It all has to be sequenced at the proper stage in your journey going forward. So as you're getting into digital transformation, you have to incorporate those things that are going to be brought along and consolidated, moved out, um, kept in place. And so that's why the whole picture of digital enterprise operations needs to incorporate what are we going to keep? What are we going to change? What are we going to you know, just completely, in Gassan's words, uh, greenfield implement, right? So all of that has to be factored in. Right. Yeah. Total, makes total sense. Um, coming back to a comment you made early on, Greg, you talked to early on in this conversation about uh, generative AI or AI in general. Um, this is from Reem on LinkedIn. Reem says, can we talk about AI slash gen AI readiness? What do companies need to have in place in order to use these, both of these technologies? Well, I, I don't know that they have to have a technology in place to adopt Gen AI. I think that um, that's being incorporated in a lot of the, uh, the ERP systems. It's being incorporated in a lot of the platforms that we've been talking about. I don't, I don't think that anyone's going to be able to avoid using AI. Um, I recently heard at a conference with the uh, pharmaceutical sciences group in Toronto that um, AI is being used to um, optimize processes within the, uh, the healthcare environment that you know are really just a matter of being able to replace the uh, kind of the motion studies that used to go on with how processes are conducted within an organization. And now they are being automated. You can place agents on desktops to see how people actually click through different application sets. And you can find that, that optimized way of, of performing any operation within an organization. So I don't think it's, it's so much preparation as it is learning to, uh, to adopt and, and change with the flow as more and more AI becomes available to us and you, is used in different ways. 
we have to adjust to that. And I, I think that's going to be the biggest thing coming. Yeah. Yeah. Makes total sense. And then there's also the, the data consideration too, just making sure that these reams of data that your organization has accumulated over the years, that it's cleaned up, that it's relevant, that it, it can actually be used for AI and gen AI purposes. I think that's a prerequisite as well as just making sure that the data piece of it has been addressed. And that's true, whether you're going with an AI model or analytics, or even just business intelligence and reporting more fundamental business intelligence and reporting, you need that those strong data inputs as well. Eric, are you getting back to that whole phase zero and uh, data cleansing? Discussion? I'm it up for you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, it's funny. It, we just keep coming back to that. You know, you do that phase zero strategy roadmap plan, all that stuff up front. Um, that, that's, it's not going to solve all your problems, but it's going to help you work through some of these things. So for example, if you're, if you know, you're going down the path of AI, you know, the data and some of the things you talked about as well, you know, these things are going to be major activities within that roadmap and you can start to lay out and figure out how you're going to, how you're going to go about that. Right. Right. So what, uh, if we look to, um, risks, what do you think the biggest risks are that organizations will face in their transformations in 2024? Maybe that might be different or more, more risky, you know, than in years past. I think that, that one of the risks is embarking on the journey that we've been talking about for digital transformation and not doing your homework. Um, homework's, that's not even the, the right term, where people are making decisions to work with a certain platform provider or a, um, a software vendor. That is a partnership that's gonna last over the next 10, 20 years, right? Right. Um, you're not going to do this again. You're not going to implement a, an entire new software system or, or digital transformation in two years after you just embarked on it this year. So you have to make sure that you choose the right partners going forward. And that's what I, I think that um, people are, are not uh, understanding uh, the, the complete nature of that. So they've got to have it focused on their business and certainly that planning and phase zero piece again, but you also have to choose partners that are gonna be with you in the entire journey, that are gonna be able to adapt to the new technologies that are coming in that, in that journey as well. And um, going with somebody like, um, you know, we're implementing JD Edwards or Bond or something like that as, a, as an older system that um, is gonna replace an older system or be an upgrade uh, is that really going to be relevant in five or 10 years, or are we going to have to implement something new? So I think that's the biggest threat in 2024 is not looking forward enough. Um, things are changing rapidly so that over the next 12 months, things will probably change and change again in two years, but you've got to have partners that are going to be sustainable all the way mm -hmm. through that, that entire journey. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think the key there is partners, you know, you, you talked about the death of the big GSA, GSI model earlier, the big global system integrators. Yeah. Uh, part of the problem there is to your point that you made earlier, they're focused on one technology when in reality, most organizations need multiple technologies to automate or to enable their digital transformations. And so having multiple partners that can help you navigate that. And then also having that PMO, you know, that program management on top of, and, 
integrating the entire program, the entire transformation. True. That's another key component too. What are your thoughts on the PMO side? I know that's something that you're, you might be almost as passionate about PMO as you are phase zero implementation. Well, I am. Well, you know, the, uh, the known industry statistic that we put out there all of the time that everyone is agreed upon is 70 to 80% of implementations fail to meet objectives for, for an organization. And as you're bringing together multiple systems that you just described, so you may be implementing uh, an ERP system like uh, an Infor, an SAP, uh, an Oracle, as well as Salesforce, as well as UKG from a, a workforce management perspective. All of those pieces coming together need to be coordinated, managed, and too often that management is left up to the software vendor it's left up to the systems integrator, whereas, as I, I do call them, the, the wrench turners that do a great job of implementing that software system, right? But it's one software system. So bringing that all together under a, uh, an umbrella and assigning the right um, governance within the organization as an extension of your internal team is, is vitally important to a successful roadmap for the entire digital transformation. Mm. So PMO is, is critical. Yeah. Now, in addition to PMO, um, you and I, and especially me are excited about change management, the human, the human side of, of change. So, uh, back to another comment from Gassan, um, his comment here is we need a bit of emotional intelligence as people are seeing automation taking over some of their jobs, literally change management will be changed to AI. But even if we set aside AI and just focus on technology in general, you know, I think he has a really good point here about needing emotional intelligence as automation becomes more advanced, whether it's with AI or, you know, some other form of automation. Um, it's, it's a threat to people's jobs. It's a disruption. It's just becoming increasingly more difficult for humans to adapt to these changes because the technology has changed so fast. The technology can do so much, which is a net positive, but the negative, the thing that could undermine that net positive is the fact that you've got these human reactions to it. So, you know, how, do, how does change management, how do you see change management fitting into this phase zero digital strategy roadmap planning, that whole bucket that we've been talking about? How do you see change management fitting into that? Well, as, as somebody put in in a book, it, it starts with the uh, with the end in mind. This is a shameless plug for you know the final countdown. Someone had to do it, so thank you for doing that. Take, take <laughs> Um, the, um, you know, the, the way that people need to look at this is organizational change doesn't start when you've got the implementation in place and you're about to go live and you're taking everyone through training. Organizational change starts from the very beginning. Yeah. So it's, it's the preparedness of the organization to move into something new. And yeah, there's a, there's a lot of fear around AI and what it's, what it's going to do. And I think that's, um, largely attributed to the Terminator movies that we saw back in the uh, in the 80s, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. um, but I, I think it's going to help things. I think it's going to improve processes. And when we see people, you know, hundreds of people in a uh, in a meeting talking about where the organization is going, what their mission is, how we're going to embark on, um, you know, this uh, this implementation of a new technology for the for the organization. And we see this quite a bit in kickoff meetings, right? The organizational change has to happen with communication. This is not you losing your job or 
taking anything away from you. It's making your job better. It's simpler. It's, it's more streamlined. So, you know, that, that, uh, that intelligence piece of this, you have to connect with what people are doing in their day jobs and make sure that they understand that this is being put in place so that you are better at your job so that things are going to be simpler, easier, and it's, it's going to be, um, you know, rainbows and sunshine all the way through. Um, not quite that rosy, but we do have to start with that, uh, that end in mind. And this is what you're going to get as a reward when we get through all of this and then get everyone aligned with making that move from the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that's not going to be difficult because when we're talking about phase zero, uh, implementation planning, defining a strategy and roadmap, that's, that's when you're sort of the most optimistic as a team in, in, in an organization, not because you want to lose that optimism, but because that's where you see the possibilities, you get excited about the possibilities, you, you get some clarity around how we're going to move off of our broken, outdated systems onto something new. So that's when the excitement is generally the highest. So it's easy to overlook the change management piece and say, well, everyone's excited. I don't know what the problem is. People aren't going to resist this. They're excited. But then the problem is you get into, inevitably, when you get into the reality of what the changes mean, that's when organizations start to push back and people start to freak out and have negative reactions that undermine the excitement that was original. So I think you have to sort of anticipate that people are going to become somewhat of a buzzkill, if you will. At some point, they're going to become a button. And that's a technical term that we use in the industry, uh, the buzzkill thing. <laughs> in case you didn't know, but it's a, but it is a, something that undermines that excitement. So you've got to have a change strategy and plan that'll allow you to over overcome that. And that should be part of that phase zero um, plan and that, that overall digital strategy. Yeah. You've always done a, uh, a great job of, of really just kind of evangelizing that, uh, that whole change management from the very beginning. And uh, it's absolutely true. Yeah. Well, I guess just to maybe close it out here, um, and I think I might know what you're going to say to this just based on what you've said so far, but I'll ask it anyway. But what closing advice would you give to organizations and project teams that are about to begin a digital transformation in 2024 in order for them to have that, to define that digital strategy that makes the most sense for them? Well, Eric, uh, I, I think that's a that's a couched question, right? Um, <laughs> first of all, begin early and often. Because as we talked about, everyone's going to be going through this change. Everyone's going to be, frankly, fighting for the resources, for you know the um, um, understanding of their organizations and moving forward in a single direction, um, accomplishing change in the in the smoothest manner possible. Um, I, I just I, I think that beginning with the end in mind, as we were just talking about going through that phase zero and organizational planning and doing it quickly, and then moving into a plan that is in alignment with the organization, with the executives, and not something that's pushed down through the organization, but something that is actually moving everyone forward at the same time. Um, that's what I think that has to happen very early in 2024 if it already hasn't happened for your organization. Yeah. Thank you, Greg. Great conversation. Appreciate having you here today and great audience questions as always. And uh, really love chatting about how digital strategies and roadmaps for the, the coming year are going to unfold. And that was a, a good segue and hopefully good, gives us some good inputs to uh, define a roadmap and strategy for the coming year. We've got a lot more to cover here in this Best of Change Management episode. We're going to keep going with the change management thread. 
uh, as we just did, as we were talking about digital strategies for 2024, we talked a lot about change management within that thread, but we're going to shift gears a bit and really hone in and go a little bit deeper into change management here. When we come back from a break, we're going to talk about why, ch why change management is so difficult, top five change strategies and strategies to manage change resistance. So we got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more transformation. Control. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling with Third Stage Consulting and your host of Transformation Ground Control. I want to encourage you to read our Guide to Organizational Change Management. It's a free report or a free guide that we published. It's one that I actually wrote that talks about best practices and lessons learned as it relates to change management. So as you know, on this podcast, we cover a lot of stuff related to the human sides of change, organizational change management, including training, communications, org design, all kinds of stuff as it relates to change management. So if you're trying to learn more about change management or you're looking for more direction and ideas on how to get started on your change management strategy and your overall journey, be sure to check out this guide. You can read it by scanning the QR code on the screen in front of you or in the links below for this particular podcast episode, you can find a link to uh, take you to the page that'll allow you to register to go ahead and download that and read it for free. So be sure to check it out. It's the guide to organizational change management uh, written by yours truly. I hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think and hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 151. My name is Eric Kimberling, Earth Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com, so be sure to check that out. I'm excited to play you a few clips here. We've got a few things we're going to cover here in the, these last uh, couple, last few minutes. We're going to talk about first why change management is so difficult, and we're going to come back and talk about more change strategies after this. But we thought it'd be good to set up and queue up the conversation by just backing up a little bit and just talking about why change is so difficult. And that sets up a conversation that we'll have here in a moment about what are some of the strategies we can deploy to overcome that difficulty in change management. So this clip that we're going to roll you here, roll for you here, is a clip that's about 20 minutes long. It features myself, uh, Mehdi from Technology Evaluation Center, and Marcus Harris from Taft Law, um, who's an attorney that deals with software failures. So pretty broad, diverse perspectives here on why change management is so difficult. So let's roll the clip and we'll come back from that and dive into some strategies as well. When we're going through digital transformations, one of the biggest things we need to worry about is change management. We have to focus on the human component of change to really help them and enable and embrace those changes. So what I want to do today is jump into a conference that we're hosting. It's our annual Digital Stratosphere Conference. I'm going to jump into this conference and ask some of the industry experts that are there with me, some of the speakers and thought leaders and other attendees that have been through transformations, I want to ask them their views about change management and how difficult change is and what some of the reasons for difficulty are. So let's jump into this conference and talk to some of the experts to find out how difficult change is and why. Let's go. So Becky, is change difficult for your organization in particular? It absolutely is. Yes, it's very why? difficult. Why is that? Um, well, we have a lot of um, tribal knowledge and a lot of people that have left the organization because of aging out um, in education. People have stayed there a long time, which has not been recorded. So we have all these silos and uh, we have not captured it the way that we probably should have to be a better, to be more successful with this digital transformation. So Marcus, do you think change is difficult 
for most organizations or how difficult do you think it is? Yeah, I, I think it's you know one of the most difficult things that you're going to face in a digital transformation. And the reasons for that are, are many, but you know essentially you know you're pulling out the backbone of the company's computing system and putting in something new, and there's so much uncertainty associated with that that you know people naturally are resistant to change. And I think with with the cases that I litigate, they all have a common theme, and that really is the failure to properly manage the change associated with you know, the digital transformation, and it has it can have devastating results. Okay. Mehdi, one thing I wanted to ask you is, do you think change is difficult for most organizations and why? The, the easy answer is yes. The, uh, the why is very complex. Uh, but most common causes of that resistance to change comes from the comfort level that people feel in doing their daily work. And, they don't want to change it because they're afraid of what the future can bring and you know, the new technologies and whether they're going to lose their jobs, they lose their influence. All of that is a very complex dynamics that you have to uh, look into, but overall change is difficult. And you have to, again, invest and go through a very uh, disciplined change management program to make that happen without too much, you know, distraction to the business. Great answer. All right, so Kristen, you're about to become a YouTube star because you're being filmed right now on my YouTube channel. Uh, dozens of people will see this video for sure. Dozens. Dozens. All, all one of them. You're right, <laughs> and half of those are my mom. So, uh, in all seriousness, I have a question for you. Uh, what is is change difficult for most organizations that go through a digital transformation and why? Change is difficult for everybody. No matter how much an organization says they want to change, the desire to stay the same is always greater. And so, and what's beguiling is how many people will complain but really invest in staying the same. And so, yes, uh, change is, is extraordinarily different, difficult. And um, what's also important to note is the saboteurs to change. Um, and so one of the things, again, you know, um, we talked about adoption being critical, effective learning tools, effective leaders um, that actually get out in front and, and, you know, foster that change, but they have to be of the people, if you will. Um, obviously, executive sponsorship and endorsement all the way down. Uh, but yeah, change is really, really, I mean, it is, there's many days you might as well just say, mm, we're out and let's not do this because it's that hard. So you have to be super, super committed to not only get the value out of your investment, but really push your company forward. And I do mean it, push it like the wrong end of an elephant. Right. So Dominic, do you think change is difficult for organizations? Yeah, it's probably one of the most difficult things in my book because most people don't like change. Most managers don't want to tell people things are changing. So they say, you know, let's not tell anyone until the last minute and then it's too late to change rather than bringing them on a journey um, because people are, people are very well protected. People don't like change and um, it's much harder to make those changes to any organizations now, especially with the sort of social constructs we've got, and depending on what region you're in, of course. Uh, but for instance, in France, you can't change people's roles very easily, and you can't sack someone, so 
change is pretty difficult right. <laughs> worldwide. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Very difficult. So. We're here chatting about why change management is so difficult. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to come back uh, after we take a quick break and continue that conversation. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. We'll be right back. Could you whisper in my ear the things you want to feel? Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 151. We're here chatting about why change management is so difficult with myself, Mehdi from Technology Evaluation Centers, and Marcus Harris from TAF Law. Let's jump back into the conversation. So Mitch, talked a lot about change management here today. Uh, do you think change management is difficult for most organizations and why? I think so. I think it is really challenging, but I think that's because people don't know how to empower their people to change. And it can be scary to change, but if you empower your people in the right way and you take it step by step, I think it can be done. But it's always hard. It's worth doing if it's hard. Right. So Amanda, do you think in general change is easy for most organizations? Is it harder than they think? What do you think? I think it is harder than they think. Why is that? Harder than anyone thinks. I think just human beings, you know, people, that's how we're wired. Um, homeostasis is always comfortable. Um, and a lot of times you come into companies where people have been doing <clears throat> the same thing for 15, 20 years and it works. Um, in current state, but it's probably not going to transfer over very well to, to future state with a you know modern ERP system or whatever they're they're looking to do. So um, it's a constant reassurance, I think, and helping people and not being condescending when they're resistant or they have questions or they have issues about well it works better like this and here's why. Because sometimes there's actually a good business case or there's there's logic there and you really have to talk as a team again and revisit that you know um, but change is hard I don't care who you are even if you're miserable in your current you know system and it's not working and you can't be competitive anymore it's still familiar and I think a lot of times we just want to stay with what's familiar so um, it's hard but I think if you go in with that expectation that change is going to be hard you just you have to coach people up and encourage them instead of getting upset that they're resistant to change, right. <laughs> you know, because it's just the human condition, I think. Right. So, Jordy, do you think change is difficult for most organizations? I think it's difficult at first, and then the more that you change or the more that you're open to change, the easier it gets. And, and the more that you talk about it and uh, maybe talk about what scares you about change, that will enable you to be able to change effectively and efficiently. Great. So Ro, how difficult do you think change is for your organization? It's got to be a culture shift and they got to understand what technology can do to improve the overall organization. So it's got to be a change in the mindset of the individual. 
because most in organizations work in silos and we got to get out of our silos. So Emma, for organizations you work with and consult to, is change management difficult or how difficult is it? I think it's one of the hardest things that any business has to manage. And it's more because the people side of change is what is really sticky. Technology is more cut and dry, black and white, but when we get into dealing with people and personalities, there's a lot of ambiguity and finesse that has to come with it. And it's really difficult to get people energized enough to put forward the effort to change. And it has to be almost individualistic across your team, which can be really difficult. Right, okay. So Carrie, change management's always a big deal and organizations go, going through change with digital transformations. You have to ask, is change difficult for most organizations and why? Yeah, I would say change is going to be difficult. And it's important, all of the things that we're thinking about in terms of that vision that you set for your organization when you're making the investment to do that change in the first place, to communicate that out. Communication, I think, is the primary way to mitigate that, that concern that comes with the change management. So just wanna make sure that you're being really clear and upfront, setting milestones and communicating with your teams as to why you're making that change, how it's gonna affect them and be transparent about it. So now that you've heard from the experts, I wanna hear from you. What do you think? What are your answers to these questions? Leave a comment below, I'd love to hear your thoughts. And for more information about digital transformation best practices, I encourage you to download our 2024 Digital Transformation Report. It's a report we publish each year. You can find that on our website by scanning the QR code or going to the links below. So I hope you found this information useful and hope you have a great day. All right, good stuff. Thank you, Mehdi and Marcus. That's really interesting and hopefully gives us some good context of why change is so difficult and how we can start to frame the change management problems and challenges that most of us have during digital transformations. We're going to continue this thread, though, and talk a little bit more specifically about change strategies and what kind of change management strategies are relevant to us as an organization or the most effective as organizations that are going through change initiatives. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to roll this clip. It's actually from my YouTube channel where I talk about top five change strategies that you should be thinking about with your digital transformation initiative. We're going to play that clip for you here in just a moment. But first, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Let me tell you. I'm excited to share our newly released 2024 Digital Enterprise Operations Report. This free download is available on the Third Stage website at thirdstage-consulting.com. This report is truly packed full of technology independent and agnostic insights for your project to ensure that you're strategically optimized for success. Download your copy today with the QR code in front of me or visit our website for more details. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 151. My name is Eric Kimberling, here with Kyler Cheatham, and we are in the midst of our best of change management episode, talking a lot about change management tactics and strategies that should help you in your digital transformation in 2024 and beyond. We're going to play you a clip here to talk about the top five change strategies that we've seen work the best and be the most effective with our clients. And we thought this would be a good way to set up and queue up some additional uh, conversation that we're gonna have after this as well. So let's roll the clip here. It's the top five change strategies in this video, by the way, is from my YouTube channel. 
uh, we thought it'd be a good thing to play for you here today. So let's roll the clip. Change management has always been the key to transformation success, but never has it been more true than in 2021. And if you think back over the last year and all the things that have changed with the pandemic, current events, a lot of different things have happened over the last several months and year that has put a lot of strain on organizations and people in general. And so organizational change management has to keep up with the times and needs to evolve to help us manage change better than we have in the past. And it was always a challenge to begin with, and it's even more true today that change management is challenging. So what I wanna talk about today are five things that are most important for you to ensure that you have an effective change strategy headed into 2021 and beyond. So just to set the backdrop for what organizations and their people are going through right now is they're going through a lot of change and there's a certain amount of change fatigue that people are suffering from right now within organizations. As I mentioned, they're dealing with not only pandemic and health concerns, they're dealing with economic issues in many cases, they're dealing with a lot of uncertainty at the organizational level and at the personal level. And there's just been a lot of change imposed on people that they may or may not be happy with or comfortable with. So whether you like it or not, your people have already gone through a great huge amount of change. And if you throw a business or digital transformation on top of that, now all of a sudden you're talking about potentially reaching a breaking point where people just simply aren't able to keep up with magnitude of change in the world. So this is a concept that's commonly known as change fatigue. And when we've talked about change fatigue in the past, or when we've talked about change fatigue with clients in the past, typically it's been in the context of when we're trying to change our business or improve our business, if we do it too quickly or we impose too much change at once, that can create change fatigue. And that still is a risk with organizations going through transformations. But today we have to worry about the change fatigue that may already exist before we've even started our digital or business transformation. And for many of the reasons I mentioned, those, those changes have been imposed on people leading up until now. So when we create our change strategies, we really have to do a good job of getting a pulse on where people's heads are and their level of comfort with change in general and their overall stress level and morale level. That's very important to really understand as a baseline where people's heads are and how open to change they may be or how resistant to change they may be because they've potentially simply had enough. So understanding this whole concept of change fatigue and really looking at change readiness and assessing the readiness of your organization to handle even more change is something that's very important and a sort of prerequisite to defining an effective change strategy in today's day and age. Just as people have been affected, not necessarily by choice, by a bunch of external factors, Organizations themselves have also been affected by external factors. Many of you may work in organizations that were affected by the pandemic and the resulting economic impact. It could have been a increase in demand for your product or service that your organization provides. For some organizations, they were negatively impacted by the world events. But whatever the impact, we have to understand that there's been some external impact to our organizations and to our culture as an organization. So we really have to look at and understand what our culture is today, how our culture has been affected by external events, and what it is we really want our culture to be in the future. And in change management is a great opportunity for us to more deliberately focus on how we want to improve our culture 
and how we want to continue to improve that, that culture to better align with our overall goals and objectives as an organization. So one of the first steps to effective change management, especially in today's day and age, is to look at what our culture is today, what kind of culture we need to enable whatever goals and objectives and external factors we think we're going to be facing to ensure that we are getting ahead of the curve and bending the culture the way we want to. So doing a cultural assessment and having a cultural change strategy is a very important part of any sort of effective change strategy in today's day and age. Now at the same time that people are changing or feeling change, at the same time cultures are being impacted or, or feeling change from external factors, you also have your own operations and technological change that we have to figure out how to tie it all together. So in other words, we need to figure out as part of our change strategy, how do we align our people, our processes, and our technologies, and organizational change management is typically the glue that holds that all together. So when we look to the future of where we're headed as an organization, and now that we're starting to get used to the way the world is today and the way it's evolving, for better or for worse, we need to understand how we can use change management to ensure that we are furthering the organization, improving the organization from an operational perspective, technological perspective, and ultimately a people perspective as well. And change management, like I said, is really the glue that holds that all together. So think of your change strategy as a way to tie together those three pieces to really align with the future of where you're headed as an organization. Once we have a handle on people processing technology and how we're gonna bend our culture, how we're gonna address change fatigue, now we need to define what our change strategy is and we need to define an effective change management strategy that will best align with who we are as an organization and where we're headed as an organization. And what's important here is that change management typically is most effective when you take your overarching strategy, your goals and objectives at a corporate level, and you translate that into specific transformation and change strategies that are aligned with that bigger picture strategy. So in other words, instead of coming in and saying, we're gonna define a change strategy and an overall transformation strategy and doing that in a vacuum, not in the context of your overall strategy, goals and objectives, that's gonna create a certain amount of misalignment that can create a lot of problems later on in your transformation. So one of the first things we wanna do is defining a clear change strategy that takes your strategy goals and objectives and translate that into meaningful change strategies and tactics, as well as overarching transformation strategies and tactics that ensure that we have that level of alignment with the overall direction of the organization. Now, just as we want our change strategy to be well aligned with our overall corporate strategy, we also wanna make sure that our executives and internal stakeholders are all aligned as well. So once we've defined this change strategy and what it is we're gonna to do to better align our people, process, and technologies and affect our culture and bend our culture the way we want to, now we need to look at ways that we ensure that our executives are aligned and our stakeholders are aligned in what that change means to the organization. And this is really a way to continue to unpack and to continue to cascade those change strategies down throughout different parts of the organization. And we wanna make sure we're all rowing in the same direction and all the different parts of the organization are going the same direction. And so making sure we're all aligned and that we have the same vision and definition of what this project means or what this transformation means to us in our part of the organization 
is something that's very important. And the larger and more complex and more diverse your organization is, the more likely it is that you're going to be misaligned as a team. And then when you throw curveballs on top of that, such as macroeconomic or pandemic type of factors that are external to the organization, that creates even more misalignment. So alignment and looking at executive and stakeholder alignment is more important than ever, given all the changes that are happening in the world today. So we wanna make sure we have a clear alignment strategy for how to get our stakeholders aligned. And I've included a link below to a video on my YouTube channel that covers the concept of alignment in more detail. We'll hopefully give you some ideas on how to enable better alignment throughout your organization. Now in this video, I've just started to scratch the surface of how to create an effective change management strategy for your transformation. That's a quick overview of top five change strategies that you wanna be considerate of or thinking about in 2024 and beyond as you embark on your change or your digital transformation initiatives. I also wanna shift gear and we wanna talk about some strategies to manage change resistance and behavioral change. We're gonna play you a clip in just a moment with Friska Weira, who is a uh, change consultant based out of Australia. And uh, she's gonna be on to chat about those strategies to manage change resistance. So we're gonna come back from a quick break and then we'll play that clip. So we'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. My name is Eric Kimberlinger with Kyla Cheatham. Episode number 151. This is the best of change management. And you can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. This last clip we're going to play for you here is a interview that I did with uh, Friska Weira, who's a change consultant based out of Australia. She's uh, an influencer. She's big on Instagram. She has, uh, I believe she has a podcast where she's been featured on a lot of podcasts does a lot of thought leadership out there about change management. So we thought it was fun to have her on the show where I interviewed her to talk about change resistance and behavioral change. So we thought this would be a great closing clip to play for you as far as uh, just getting a different perspective and, and additional inputs into how we can manage change resistance. So let's roll the clip of Friska and I chatting about strategies to manage change resistance. What if leadership themselves are part of the problem? And if so, if they are the problem, then what do you do to, to mitigate Mm. Level. Yeah, this is a challenge, especially the middle layer of management. I call them the permafrost layer because often we expect them to lead their own teams and their own people through change when they themselves haven't gone through the change process. So they themselves are trying to make sense and they're doing a bit of soul searching, a bit of meaning making. What does this change mean to me, etc.? So the first steps when leaders aren't on board with change is to really understand what is the source of their hesitation? And in my experience, if people 
are resisting change, it's because they're scared of something. They're scared of loss, scared of losing something. And we are more motivated to act by loss than gains. So it's either power, prestige, protection, pay or performance. So if it's if it's pay, they may be concerned that, I don't know, their bonuses are at stake or they're not going to meet their SDIs. Um, so I've seen this time and time again when, when a new performance management system is rolled out and they're like, oh, there goes my A, B and C. Um, prestige is about, you know, maybe they're losing their corner office, maybe they're losing some perks, so that the prestige of their role is losing its luster. Um, performance. This change could mean it's very challenging for them to maintain a high level of performance and thus look good in their job, right? We, we don't know. Um, protection. So this particular leader could be protected, sheltered somehow, which kind of hides their underperformance. And this change, such a restructure, could take the lid off that. So we don't know which of these pieces driving their, their resistance and their sense of loss if we don't, A, talk to them about it. And if we don't have that relationship with them, we need to cast our net wider and find out who does. Because, you know, for example, new client, me sitting down with the CEO saying, so why are you resisting? It's not going to work. Like you can't adopt a, an abrupt frontal effort like that. You need to be a bit more subtle, a bit more delicate and a bit more tactful. But the answer will not come overnight. So it takes, and, and it comes from all sources. It could be, you know, observing them. It could be asking different people in the organization. But really what will help a lot is if you practice a great deal of empathy. So what is it that they're concerned about, right? Walk a mile in their shoes and see things from their perspective to get the answer. Right, right. And so just, you've said it a couple times now, but I think it's super important, those five Ps. Can you just repeat it one more time? The For, power uh, pay, protection, prestige, performance, and power. That's great. That's, mm -hmm. uh, that's I, I love that framing. Is that something you developed? I'm just something curious. Something I developed, yeah, yeah, yeah. From, from many years of experience, it's always one of those Ps. <laughs> I, the five P model by Frisco. You heard it here first. Uh, yeah. uh, well, that's that's great. Um, and then just building on that, this is from from Kyler on LinkedIn. She asked, building on that comment that you just had or that thread about leadership. What is the responsibility of leadership to combat and address resistance? Now, assuming they're on board, that you know we're not necessarily um, addressing resistance to change at the leadership level, although it's, mm -hmm. it's more common than, than many may think. Um, what is it that, what is their role and, and how should they be involved in, in addressing resistance to change? They need to be hands-on. Like the change management professionals like you and I, we can provide the conditions for adoption to thrive. We can provide advice. We can say, hey, this person may be upset because of ABC, but it's up to the leaders to actually have those hard conversations with people and understand what's driving their resistance and use their own relationships, their networks, their gravitas, their pool to drive adoption and buy-in for this change. Because at the end of the day, that's the leader's role. And this is where I see a lot of organizations kind of fall by the wayside. The leaders tend to subcontract or defer their resistance management responsibilities to their, their 2IC or the, or the consultants uh, such as myself. Well, it's not the consultant's role, it's the leader's role. I mean, that's why they make the big bucks. They are the leader. They're expected to advocate for the change, sponsor the change upwards, build a coalition horizontally of support and manage resistance actively. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Makes total sense. I, I feel like we 
um, missed that question by that gentleman that asked, will change still be successful if leaders aren't on board? I would say no. And if there is success, it's very short term. So when I first enter a client organization, always, always, always start at the top. So understand where they sit in the change commitment curve. And if they are resistant, find out why. Right. Yeah, that's great. Great point of clarification. And, and actually, that sort of leads to another question here from from the folks at my company at Third Stage. Uh, the question is, how do you help leadership identify which of the five P's is creating resistance? So mm-hmm. we know there's resistance. We sense it. We feel it. Our gut instinct tells us there is resistance or there's some sort of behavioral people based issue. But how do we how do we get to the bottom of what's driving that? Yeah, I want to. So the the activities that we're talking about now is a key fundamental step in any good change management effort which is stakeholder analysis so stakeholder analysis is not done by one person it's not not done by me in my office alone it it is you know shared amongst a few different key stakeholders in a business to make sure that we really understand the root cause of the resistance because they're the ones with the years of tacit you know organizational knowledge they understand the culture so the change management consultant facilitates that process. But it's through a combination of, of um, sources. It could be one-on-one conversations. It could be focus groups, right? People are often um, uneasy to voice their opinions so directly in a one-on-one conversation, but in a group setting, they're more relaxed. So you, you can collate data in a variety of different ways. Interesting. Yeah, and I think it's... Uh you know, first of all, understanding what those five P's are and sort of what the common root causes are makes it a little bit easier to at least know what to look for and and Uh know that there's some underlying driver. Because I think a lot of times people, it seems like people that aren't involved in change management day to day, they assume that the only form of resistance is going to be the the full on sabotaging, you know, the the really obvious like, I just don't care about this project. I don't want this project to happen. I was never on board from the start. And that, I don't know what your opinion is or what your experience is, but that that's pretty rare that you, you see that, the sabotage. I mean, it, it's usually it a lot more subtle. Yeah, yeah. And, so and so subtle that you can't actually draw a red line that links, yes, that sabotage. It could be as simple as um, not getting back to the project team on feedback on a particular design by a certain date. It could be two weeks late. It could, you know, this person just may forget to show up to steer co meetings, you know, yeah, resistance comes in all shapes and sizes. And very rarely is it that over direct um, sabotaging manner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, You have a you have a fan here and Eduardo on on LinkedIn. (laughs) Glad glad to see you in action. So one of your many fans joining us. (laughs) Happy New Year, Um, Eduardo. And then here's a question uh, from Ratna on LinkedIn. Ratna asked, leadership do not always have the operational experience. From mm-hmm. my experience, they have never been in the user's shoes. They have a gap of understanding the resistance. Is this not part of the problem? What are your thoughts there? Um, so first of all, okay, so it, leaders never understand why people are resisting. It's up to the change professionals to explain why they're resisting and and what's causing it. Um, But yes, leaders often don't walk a mile in another person's shoes. But but me, for example, the biggest program that I was on, it was for the world's largest single policing jurisdiction. 
So eight and a half thousand police officers, one and a half thousand civilians. Um, it was a technology product, a very significant one, because it was upgrading a piece of technology that was over 20 years old. And because it was so old, it was like going from the blue screen death of MS-DOS to the latest generation iPhone. But what was most important about this is that it was like a heart and lung transplant. This particular system was dependent, intersected with, you know, Department of Justice, Department of Health, etc. And if you get this change management effort wrong, it really is life and death because it is the system that we rely on. This is in Australia for triple zero calls to assistance or 911 if you're in America, whatever your emergency number is. So imagine sending a helicopter in the wrong direction or police cars to the to the wrong address. So often um, the very senior people, the commanders, wouldn't understand why the change management budget and resources needed to be so large. But it's up to us as the change management professionals to explain that articulately in language that they understand. So it's not up to the leader to understand resistance. I totally disagree with that. It's up to us to get the data, hypothesize, provide a recommendation, and it's up to us to explain that well and push for the case for, manage, for investment in change management. Is it fair to say then that it's, it is the responsibility, responsibility of leadership to recognize that they don't know what the source is and understand that there is a problem? Maybe I don't fully understand it because I haven't been in the user's shoes before, but there's something there and I need someone to help me fill in the blank. Is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the leaders that have already gone to that, you know, the smart step of engaging change professionals, they're usually open to that sort of feedback. I mean, that's what they pay me for. They don't, they don't pay me for to, to tell them that everything's perfect and this is all that they have to do. I say this is best case scenario, this is worst case scenario. Uh, you need to do these 10 things to get this and then it's up to them to do that. If they choose only to do you know, three of those things, then they need to wear the consequences. And so to really push home the urgency for and the ROI of change management, I turn the tables on them. Instead, it's about risk mitigation. Um, and if you frame things in a loss instead of a gain, you'll find leaders are more receptive to having that conversation. Yeah, yeah, very well said. Um, just to build on a, the thread prior to this, when we were talking just a moment ago, um, this is from, from William, he just makes a comment that uh, William on YouTube says that the worst resistance will have a pleasant face. Mm. Uh, that, that's really well said because- I they, want that on a t-shirt, that's brilliant. <laughs> That's, that's a good idea. Yeah. So some free advice here for from our, our live stream. We won't charge you for that free advice to just that's your branding for your next project. Is uh, yeah. We need say, to have some third stage merch here after the, after the show. <laughs> that can get. I know. Imagine that. Like, hey, and by the way, if you want to buy a T-shirt that says this, uh, <laughs> buy a T-shirt. Yeah. So uh, thank you for that, William. Great comment. Um, and just sort of going with this leadership theme here. Um, this is from Laurel on LinkedIn. Laurel asks, can you talk more about the role of culture in the identification and management of resistance? And can a culture be fostered that could help reduce resistance to change overall? And this actually leads into another question I have for you, but we'll, we'll start here with the, the culture. Can you read it? Can you, can you create a culture that is easier to, or that overcomes resistance easier and helps reduce resistance to change overall? Yeah, a culture that's actually open to that values openness, autonomy, and connection. Because if you are if you you have a culture of openness and transparency, people will be very comfortable telling you why they're 
concerned, why they're resisting, and it'll be, God, it'll be a lot easier to manage change that way. But people are not forthcoming uh, with their reservations. So you have to do a lot of digging, a lot of detective work to really undercover what, what's driving their resistance. Uh, can a culture be created that's more open to change and less resistant? For sure, definitely. You can create any culture you want, but it's not for the faint-hearted, which is why the failure rate is like northwards of 86%. It will take time. How long? It's really hard to say because leaders ask me this all the time, how long, how long, how long? It's not dependent on me. It's dependent on how well you live your values, um, how often you communicate it, and how regularly your leaders are seen role modeling it, living and breathing it. So it's like how long's a piece of string. But yeah. definitely I think a culture that's open to change, more embracing, is definitely possible. And there is such a culture that 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 where change initiatives are more readily accepted. So as a generalization, when I talk to my counterparts in different areas of the world, they say that the US is actually more more open to change, more embracing, more more open to trying new things. So very different to Australia. Right. Hmm. But yet in the US and other parts of the world that you'd think they'd be more open to change or, or be more successful with change, you still have super high failure rates that are probably yeah. right around 6%. Yeah, yeah. So even even with that, you know, perceived higher um, openness yeah. and everything, still have challenges. Yeah. And I think you, you also bring up a really interesting point, just kind of building it, going back to the five Ps. So you, you talk about the five Ps, which are the power, prestige, pay, et cetera. That's mm. more like the individual based Mm. sources of resistance but then you the next layer up is like the organizational dynamics and culture that could cause resistance and you just hit a few you just touched on a few of them mm. which is not having a culture of openness or not having a culture of collaboration or not or, or, or operating in silos a lot of times you look at things that are just inherent in your dna in the current model and it's not by design but those things those organizational cultural nuances are the things that cause groups of individuals to resist change or struggle with change. Mm. Would you agree with that? It's almost like there's a there's individual-based resistance, but then there's an organizational dynamics that could cause even the best intentioned people to resist yeah, change. Yeah, I mean, if, if the organization has, and, and also if the organization has a history of failed change initiatives, then people know what to expect and they know it's always painful. So, of course, they're not going to be supportive. And you to try to kind of explain how this plays out, so I'll... I'll I think I've told you this story. I'll give you an example of a one-on-one -on -one personal uh, situation and you can imagine how this plays out in large organizations. So I was uh, in Sydney one day walking along George Street, which is one of the main thoroughfares there with my best friend. We were looking for somewhere to have lunch. And out of the corner of my eye, I spot a new falafel restaurant. And I said, oh, I've seen that falafel restaurant be written up in, in the Australian. It had really good reviews. We should try it. And she didn't even entertain, straight away she said no. And I said, what do you mean no? Like I just told you, it won these awards, it's been recognized this. And she said, no, I tr I tried a falafel restaurant once, eight years ago. It was really bad and it upset my stomach, never want to do it again <laughs> from one bad experience. But you can see how this plays out in organizations all the time. It's like, oh, we had a restructure five years ago, all my mates were laid off communication was shit. Of course, people are not going to put their hand up and think, oh, great, here's another restructure. So it just takes one bad experience with change to kind of really ingrain that knee-jerk negativity anytime a new change is introduced. Even when you say, you know, it's, it's new leaders now, we've got a new consultant, things will be different, da-da-da-da. So people are resistant, which is why 
change management consultants are always on the back foot because usually change hasn't been done well in an organization and people aren't going to put their hand up for more pain. All right. That was Friska and I chatting about strategies to manage change resistance and behavioral change. Hopefully that gives you some good context to uh, understand change resistance and what some of the strategies are to overcome it. Um, I also wanted to share, you know, one thing, if you're interested in change management, learning more and getting a deeper dive into change management, you can also download our guide to change management off of our website. We'll include a QR code right here that you can scan, or you can go to the links below, but be sure to check that out. If change management is something you're interested in, you want to learn more about it, you can go to third stage consulting's website. Again, we include the QR code in the link below that you can get that guide to change management. So it'll give you some deeper dive, um, tactics and strategies that you could be using for your digital transformation. So be sure to check that out. And uh, hopefully this episode has given you what you're looking for as it relates to change management. We have new episodes coming out every Wednesday. We inevitably talk about change management in just about every episode, if not all episodes, but this was obviously an opportunity to hone in and focus on change management. We'll be back with uh, more Transformation Ground Control next week. So be sure to check it out every Wednesday, new episodes at transformationgroundcontrol.com. So I hope you have a great day and we'll see you next week on Transformation Ground Control. Have a great week. Thank you.